0: I want to thank you for being here this morning. I just want to jump right in and and uh, get going. My question to you this morning is: uh, I know that we can worship on Sunday morning, and it's just about the beginning of the school year, so we got a lot of college students here, and we've got people that are that are coming back from vacation, and and worship is awesome, but. I know that you can worship in the pew, and I know that you can worship when, when you're with your friends, and I know that you can worship uh, when you're in these right settings, but if, can you worship in the pew as well as worshiping in the pain? Can you worship in the, in the midst of God's people, in the midst of his presence that is felt, but can, can you also worship in the midst of the pain of life? Because here's the thing, is that good times are short-lived historically. We, we are in a long season of, of good times in some ways. We just came through a recession, and some of you are like, I, that didn't feel like a good time to me. I lost my job. I lost my house. I lost a business. I lost stuff. But historically, historically, bad times come more frequently than they have... Uh, recently. And we live in a day and age when there is great comfort. I was watching a woman not too long ago on, on TV, and she was, she was saying, she was talking about people carrying around weapons, and she said, do they even realize how dangerous that is? I'm not commenting on whether you should carry a weapon or not, but what, I, what immediately came to my mind was that there are people in other times and other settings that would have said, do you know how crazy it would have been to not carry a weapon?" <laughs> Because bad times have been the norm. We were ripping out, uh, there's a theme in my life right now, and it's, it's renovation. I, I, I talk about it frequently because that's what I'm doing right now is I'm renovating my 1910 house. And uh, we're tearing out the ceiling in this one place. And uh, for some reason, in only this section of the house, there were newspapers from 1909 in here. And so we pulled these newspapers out carefully, and you would not have believed the headlines. And so we sit around, and we, and we think to ourselves, like, uh, I just, I want to get back to the good old days when things were great, but you would not have believed uh, the ridiculous articles that you, that you, that were in every day's paper between two, two loggers' wives. They got in a fight over utensils, and so they both ran into their house and got butcher knives, came back out, and just duped it out, and one of them died. I'm like, I mean, just craziness, like murder. Somebody kills uh, somebody else and then uh, sits by their dead body and and like eats their dinner. I mean, we we think, I want to get back to the good old days, but the good old days uh, weren't that good. And really right now seems good, but we know the pain and we know the suffering. We know the stuff that's been going on, but somehow we're insulated from that in some way. But many of you, have made some type of profession of faith. Many of you have decided, like, I want to follow Jesus, and I I want to walk with him, but that has been an insulated decision. It's been inside of a Christian home. It's been with Christian parents at a church. And some of you have come to a point where you're like, okay, I want Jesus because my life has been hell up until this point, and I realize the hell that I've created, and now I want that to be different. And so your expectation is that things will get better from here, and the person who grew up in the Christian home, is, is their expectation is as long as I do what God wants me to do, that things will just continue to get better. But the question, what really matters, where your faith really matters, what's going to matter? Like everything else doesn't matter, but what's really going to matter in your life is not whether you can worship in the pew, but whether you can worship in the midst of the pain. Because that's where your faith is really shown for what it is. Too many people for too long have been sold a bill of goods from the church that says life's going to get better, things are going to be good for you. And there's a sense in which that's true, but it's not because your outward circumstances are getting better. You may be wasting away outwardly. The truth comes when you hear this. You may be wasting away outwardly, but inwardly you're being renewed day by day by Jesus Christ and what he's done for you on the cross, God and in his incredible mercy and what he's done for you through Jesus. Is that, is that where you're at? Can we sing in the midst of pain? Can you sing in the midst of pain? We're in a book called Habakkuk, and not many of us have studied it. I've heard this over and over again. I haven't really read that before, <laughs> um, not many people want to read about pain and suffering and whatnot. And, and what happens is, is that life hits, things fall apart, and your faith falls apart. But if you don't have a faith that's going to make it through that, and then, then it's not really worth anything, is it? If, you're, if you buy a car and it doesn't last through uh, taking a trip, but you had all the guarantees when you bought it, but when, you, but when it doesn't last, you're going to say it wasn't really worth anything. Those guarantees weren't worth anything. So is your faith guaranteed? Uh, Habakkuk is a prophet. And this is the last time I'll review this because this is the last day of this series. Habakkuk is a prophet. And in his day and age, he's in, he's in kind of a microcosm. He's like, he's like in this, uh, this bubble, this Christian bubble, in a sense. He's in this bubble, and what's going on in there is that he is seeing these people who profess faith in God and he's seeing their lives in the way that they live, live them. He's seeing where their real worship lies. He's seeing that what's really going on is that they're living these horrific lives. And there's violence and justice never goes forth. And he's angry with God. And he's saying, God, why are you allowing your people to sin like this without you judging them? And so God comes back and he says, listen here, Habakkuk. And this is a word to all of us. I, I, I just I want you to get this if you get nothing else out of this series. It's just this string of things that Habakkuk learns. Is that when you go and you pray to God and you say, God, why are you silent? Why do you not talk to me? Why are you not speaking to me? I want to sense you. I want to feel you. I want to be energized by you. I want to feel this way in the midst of the worship service. I want to sense your presence. Why aren't you answering me? And then God comes back and he says something to you that you don't expect. Because he says to Habakkuk, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. God says to Habakkuk, I'm doing something, and you will never understand it. You will never get it. You would not believe it, even if I told you. And then he goes ahead and tells him, and Habakkuk is devastated because God tells him, I'm going to use this incredibly evil nation. I'm going to use Babylon, and I am going to use them to discipline my people because of their sin. I'm going to use them to discipline my people. And rightly so, Habakkuk is horrified. But the thing that we've seen through this is, is, is this, is that you and I have an idea of what we think God should do or what, the way that God should act and the way that I want him to love people and the way that I want him to have mercy and he would never judge me and he would never uh, uh, purposely hurt me or, or something along those lines. But God's righteousness and his justice demands that he punish sin, And so God is going to use this evil nation. He tells Habakkuk Habakkuk about it. And then he just is absolutely horrified. And he says, God, why would you do this? And God says, just wait a minute. I'm going to judge Babylon, the Chaldeans. I'm I'm going to judge them as well. Just you wait and see. And the view that we get of God is this is that God is so sovereign. He's so in control. He's not just sovereign over whether you have a good day or whether you have traveling mercies or whether you have or whether you get the job or whether you get the girlfriend or whether you get your spouse back or whether you get the raise or whether you God's not just sovereign over those little sometimes minuscule things that are going on in your life. God is sovereign over the nations. God is absolutely and finally and completely in control of all things. Everywhere, God is in control of our universe. And He is judging and He is controlling, and He will pour out wrath and He will pour out mercy and He will pour out justice as He sees fit. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is this Do I have the right to question the true and the living God? In the midst of his sovereignty. If he's God, if he created all things, where do I get off questioning him? Where do I get off saying, you know what? If there is a God, how could he allow these things to take place? Well, if there is a God, how could you question him? How could you question him for even doing that? Can you even control what he does? Could does it make any difference whether you say, Well, I don't, I'm I'm not gonna follow him because of those things that he does. Does that make any difference? Does that change him, or should you follow him regardless? Because he says in the next chapter, for the earth, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. God has said this, it doesn't matter what takes place, what's going to happen in the end is that I will be glorified and everyone will know it. And do you know what that means? That means this, that you and I, and all of the nations, ISIS, Syria, Russia, whatever other nations there are, <laughs> Bulgaria, all right, Kazakhstan, wasn't a geography major, didn't major in anything really, but uh, don't tell anyone, um, God is sovereign over the nations. And the, the, the truth is here, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. And the question is this, whether you will willingly or unwillingly glorify God, whether you will willingly worship him or whether you will unwillingly worship him through what he does by experiencing his wrath, by experiencing his justice. I don't often say that, and it's because of this. My job is not to scare anybody into anything. But I'm saying this. I'm saying this. You've got to understand that if he is finally and completely in control, he will get glory out of your life. He will get praise out of what you do, whether you like it or not. And I want to tell you, you want to do that willingly. You want to do that willingly. And so the question comes question comes how is that going to happen in your life how is that going to take place in the midst of your circumstances how is that going to happen in the pew as well in the midst of the pain of life how is that going to take place in your life well Habakkuk really shows us this because one of the things that he does is that that we see in his life and I'm I'm reviewing still here just a little bit is that Habakkuk begins by questioning God he's honest with God he tells God how he feels Too many times people in Christian circles have believed the lie that says, I can never question who God is. The the problem comes is that when you're always questioning, never arriving at the truth. So here's the thing, is that it's okay to have questions. It's okay to be real. It's okay to bring those up in community group and to ask uh, somebody that that you know and love, somebody that knows and loves God. It's okay to talk to God, and you should be talking to God. But that's the place where he is, is that he's praying to God. He's saying, God, I don't sense you. I don't feel you because I see all of these things going on. But then what you see him do is you see him make a turn, and his turn is this. He says, okay, I'm going to stay here, and I'm going to watch, and I'm going to wait. So not only does he pray, but he waits on God. He waits on the Lord, but he doesn't do that kind of, he does that intently. And he says, God, I'm, I'm, I'm going to wait here. I'm not going anywhere until you move. I'm going to wait for you. To speak to me and to tell me what's going on, he's persistent and he's coming after him and he's saying, God, please show me what's going on. And so he waits and he waits and he waits. And then God unloads his plan on him. And it's not a plan that he likes, as I said. But what's his response? His response is to say, You're in control of the nations. You are above all things, and you're worthy to be worshiped because of that. Can you do that? Can you say that? God says to him, the righteous shall live by his faith in, in, in chapter 2, verse 4. And what he means by that, I believe, is this, is that he's saying that the person who is truly righteous, the person who, has, who God has shown himself to, The person who truly has faith in God, that righteous person, is going to trust him even in through the difficult times. So that's the question, is that can you trust God even in and through everything that's going on, the the travesties that happen in your life, the devastation that's going to take place? Many of you in this room are very young. Many of you have a lot of life to live, and the question comes what's going to happen when life falls off and the wheels fall off and life falls apart. What's going to take place? I went yesterday because I I had a piece of equipment I had to pick up and I, I, I have another Craigslist find. It was a really great deal, but I've had to put more money into it. And it's this trailer. And so I put this piece of equipment on it, which is A little bit too heavy for it, Um, maybe double the weight that it should have on it. But that's that's another point. And and so I I put this this machine on on here, and I'm and I'm driving home, and I start hearing some clanking. I start hearing some clanking, and I'm right in the intersection of like uh, your commercial and uh, and Vista and I'm driving through that intersection and I'm like, please do not let this wheel fall off in the middle of the intersection. This is going to be bad. But here's the thing, I, I wasn't super worried about it because of one thing, I had that machine tied down so tight. And the question in your life and in my life is this, is that what's gonna happen when a wheel falls off and you hit a bump, is your, is your load is your life tied down to the rock-solid nature of God? Because that's what Habakkuk goes back to. Is he, he says this, like this is everything that God has done in the past. And when I look at everything that he's done in the past, some of you have questioned whether the Old Testament matters. The Old Testament matters because of this, because the Old Testament shows us the nature and character of God. The Old Testament shows us God's unfolding plan of Jesus, his unfolding plan of redemption. And so it's absolutely critical that we know it. And what that is, is that's an anchor point. It's an anchor point in the past that says, I am hanging on to who God is and what he was in that time, and that he never changes, that he always stays the same. He is always this God. And so I've got that, but then you've got your life in the middle, and, you, and you've got to say, like, who is God in the present, and what has he done in my life? Too many times, too many of us say, I just know what's going on right here and right now. And you, you inado- inadequately uh, define who God is based on your circumstances, but your circumstances don't really tell you Jack. Because of this, because your circumstances do not have the broad view of what God is doing in the world and throughout the nations and all things. And so you have to go back to really understand that God was sovereign over all things in the Old Testament from the beginning of time, and he is today. And so your circumstances are under God's tie-down, God's chain your circumstances are under that because it's rooted in his nature and character. And you're held down through that. But then it's also held down through something else. It's held down through the future of what will be. Of what will be. See, the righteous shall live by faith. The person who is righteous, the person who really walks with God, the person who really wants him in their life, the person who knows this, they say, I am a sinner that is saved by Christ. I am a person who routinely screws up and messes up, but my righteousness does not come from me, it comes from God. That person who's gonna live by faith is, is this, they're always trusting God, they're trusting God from the past to the present and to the future, and what happens as a result is they sing. Not just verbal singing, but their life is a song to God. Their life is a song to God. And so they can worship in the pew, and they can worship in the pain. And they can worship God uh, when they're with their Christian friends, but they can also worship God in the midst of everything that's falling apart. And every time they turn around, something else is broken. And every time they turn around, someone else is sick. And every time they turn around, something else takes place. And they look at that and they say, but God is still faithful, God is still God. God is still righteous. God is still great. God is still sovereign. And I trust him with the end. I trust him with all things. And that's what Habakkuk does. And so chapter 3, let me pick up where we left off this last week. He hears uh, what God is going to do. He thinks about all that God has done in the past. And so chapter 3, verse 14, he says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon uh, people who invade us. So what's happening right here? I, I want you to look at his disposition. Does he feel like worshiping? Does he have warm fuzzies about God? No, rottenness is entering his bones, right? His lips are quivering. He's shaking in his boots. He's a man and he's admitting this and he's saying, I am scared of this God in this time over what he could do and what he's going to do in the world. He's scared. He's scared, but does he worship in the pew as well as in the pain? And so he picks up in verse 17, and I, I want you to write this somewhere. I want you to underline this. I want you to come back to this. Because when, when stuff hits the fan, this is, this is just what needs to be said. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. This guy has preemptive faith. And what he's saying to you and to me, is a song. Because it says at the very end, to the choir master with stringed instruments. He says, "I we, we need to sing this together. We need to sing this dirge, this unhappy song together, so that we're ready for this when this comes. And he says this, complete and total social collapse is going to take place in my nation." Complete and total social collapse is going to take place in my nation. He says, the fig tree should not blossom. Figs are kind of a, a snack. They're a staple a little bit in their time, but, but not exactly the sustenance of life. It's, it's kind of a luxury. So he says, the fig tree, the luxuries are gone. The, the things that make, make things taste good, they're, they're gone. But what if... There's no wine. What if I'm thirsty? What if I don't have what I need? Nor fruit beyond the vines. What if if I'm just kind of thirsty? So now I, I don't have the luxuries, but now I'm just, I'm uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable. Discomfort has come to my life. Discomfort has entered into my life, and now I don't have the things that I want. Economic collapse has come. Social collapse has come. And then he says, the produce of the olive fail. He's talking about oil. He's talking about everything that's derived from olives. So there's, there's oil for cooking, there's oil for lamps. And so he's saying, so I don't have the light that I need. I don't have the stuff that I need to even be able to cook with. And so he says, not only am I uncomfortable, I, I don't have the luxuries in life, I'm a little bit thirsty. I don't have enough to cook with. And then he says... In the fields yield no food. Okay, so now we're into, now I'm just flat out hungry. You want to know how hungry he is? You read in Lamentations. It's stuff I don't even want to read. It's very, very, very hungry. It's people starving to death. Though I don't have the luxuries, though I don't have stuff to drink, though I don't have stuff to cook with, and I don't have light, and then on top of that, the fields... The barley and the wheat, or whatever else they have, the, those staples of life are not there. I cannot have anything to eat. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. What's he saying? All of our animals are dead. Now, they didn't normally eat meat, but they had no animals to even uh, go plow a field. They had no way. Get to get anything. So there was no hope of the future. Of okay, let's just replant, let's just buckle down. No. All every every single bit of hope that they had was out the window. Everything is gone. Now let me just tell you something real quick. God in his great mercy will get you to that point where you say, I have nothing. I don't have what I need. I don't have what I want. I don't have enough to survive. God in his great mercy would get you to that point. Why? Why would he allow this? So that the only thing that you have is him for your dependence. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. Will you do that willingly or will you do that unwillingly? Will you by faith walk and say, God, I trust you, even though all of my stuff is gone. Even though all of my food is gone. Even though all of the luxuries that I have in life are gone. Will you walk with him in that? God, in his mercy, would get you to this point. And he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll stop right there for a second. What's he saying? He's saying it's not just rejoicing. It's to exalt, to triumph. It's not just somebody who says, God, okay, I'll trust you. Okay, fine, I'll walk here with you. What he's saying is that, and, and, and listen, we're not all perfect, and we're not all at that place, and it, yes, we are in that place sometimes. I don't want to make it more than it is, but I, I just want to say this, that the person who trusts God is finally avail, uh, uh, able to get to a point where they say, not only am I just rejoicing, I think that word doesn't explain exactly what it says. That word, the real word there in Hebrew, means this, to exalt, to triumph, It's football game-esque, jumping up and down. I don't get into into sports very often, but every now and then, like the the last game of the playoffs, or like when a friend of mine is playing, or when my son kicked the the first, and I think it was his only goal, he might have gotten two at, at a soccer game, and it was just like, yeah! Oh my gosh! It was amazing! This is the type of rejoicing, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. Everything's gone. I can't eat. Yay, God. God, thank you. Oh, my goodness. You are so good. How absurd is that? How absurd is it that somebody is able to say, like, I'm rejoicing in the Lord, and yet everything's falling apart? The next thing he says is, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And so he's almost repeating himself. It's a little different word, but he says, I'm going to exalt, I'm going to triumph in what God is is doing, but then it is a full-on shout, yes, he's shouting to God. Where does your faith start and stop? When are you shouting for God? When are you praising Him, rejoicing in Him, rejoicing in what He's done for you? Is it in the pew when you get an emotional feeling or is it in life when life is falling apart? Because that's when it matters. That's when it matters. All of this other stuff can go away. But what really matters in your faith is whether you can worship him in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of life falling apart. Can you exult in him? Can you rejoice in him? He says, God the Lord is my strength. He goes beyond and he says, I have no strength left. I have no drink left. I have no food left, but God is my strength. Do you see what just happened there? All of that stuff got taken away. And what are you and I left with? Okay, was that my strength? Was that relationship my strength? Was my marriage my strength? Was my position in life, my social status, the acceptance among my peers... God is my strength. God is my strength. And do you know what has to happen sometimes? This is one of my favorite passages. I come back to it often. Psalm 42. Or the psalmist is saying... This is the the verse that often gets put on the coffee cup or whatever. There's also a very uh, obnoxious Christian song that one of our guys always asks us to sing. And uh, you remember this, as the deer panteth for, that's a great, great tune. Um, uh, it, the only reason why it is good is because it's scripture, Psalm 42 verse 1, uh, <laughs> small caveat, all right, uh, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So the psalmist is saying, okay, I'm, I'm like coming after you. I'm thirsty for you. I want to be with you. I want to hear from you. I want to drink from you. And then it's like this really joyful song. As the deer panteth for the water. Uh, what's he say next? My tears have been my food all day and night. Oh, day and night. While well, they say to me all day long, where is your God? He's like, I am crying. I'm suffering. Life is falling apart. People are saying to me, Where's your God now? Sucker. You see what's going on in this world? The racism? The lack of justice in our in our world? The police being killed? Do you see the kids suffering in, in Syria? Do you see what happened in Italy? Do you see what happened anywhere else in the world? A thousand times over in, in Salem? Where is your God? My tears have been my food all day long. But my soul pants for you, for the living God. When can I come and meet with God? That's what the person of faith says. They said, my strength is gone from food, but that was not my strength originally. It was God is my strength. So he says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul. Verse 4 of chapter 42 of Psalm, how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. He says, I remember when I was back in church. I remember those times and I longed for them and they're awesome. This morning was awesome. Ryan and and our worship team led us incredibly to see God, to see Jesus Christ, to show us who he is. And he's saying, I remember those days. I remember what's going on. And then he says, Why are you so downcast, O my soul? He starts questioning himself. He starts saying, he starts talking to himself. He starts saying, Hey, soul, what's up with that? Why are you so depressed? Why are you so down? Why are you in turmoil within you? And what's he say? Hope in God. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And then he goes on. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon and and from Mount uh, Mizar. What's he saying? He's saying... God, I remember what you did. That's his anchor point. I remember where you were. I remember what you did. I remember who you are. I remember that. I remember those things. And he says, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. God, it seems like and it feels like it's just wave after wave after wave. Life is falling apart. People are dying. The people that I loved most are dying. This world is in tears. I can't hardly watch the news because of the suffering that I see in Syria. I'm speaking for myself. God, it feels like wave after wave after wave after wave after wave. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. In spite of everything that's taking place, in spite of the people that say, where is your God? In spite of all of those things, by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Can you sing in the midst of suffering? And you worship in the pew as well in the pain. Is that where your life is? Back to Habakkuk here. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. God, is the one who's my strength. He's the one that lifts me up. He's the one that makes things right. Worship is not an expression of how you feel because how you feel is based on your circumstances. Worship is an expression of the one that you worship. And I want to tell you this. You don't worship because you feel like worshiping God. You worship Him because He's worthy of being worshipped. In our worship services, one of the reasons why we put this stage into the round was to say this, that this is not spectator and performer, but we are God's people, and this is the throng of His people, and we come together because we are serious about worshiping God. We're serious about worshiping Him. And one of the things that we've, that we've had to say here is this, is that I am not here to worship Him in the way that I feel. In fact, personally, I say this, you know, I, I have not worshiped God sometimes because I, I wanted to be authentic. And I don't feel that way, and so if I'm worshiping like this, then that's inauthenticity. But authenticity is not the definition of how I feel. Authenticity is the definition of what I believe. What I believe is that God is worthy of praise. What I believe is that God is my strength and that my stuff is not. What I believe is that God is worthy of everything even if everything falls away in his mercy and I see that he is my strength. And so what I'm saying to myself in the midst of the worship service, what I'm saying to myself in the midst of difficult circumstances is this, God, you're worthy no matter what takes place. You can send as many waves over my life. You can send as many things over my life as you want, but you're worthy no matter what takes place. You're worthy of this. And here's the thing. He shows us exactly how to do this. When Jesus was in the garden, it's it's just a short time before he's about to be crucified. And he's, he's suffering, and he's thinking about what is to come. And he's, he's saying, Father, if it's your will, if you, if you really want this to take place, then, then your will be done. But here we have the Son of God, like you think you struggle with pain? Jesus struggled with pain. You think you're struggling with stuff that's that's going on in your life? Jesus struggled with stuff that's going on in life. See, Jesus, Jesus is not just like a picture of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is really pointing towards Jesus, and, and and really Jesus is better than Habakkuk. Habakkuk is pointing to Jesus who's really going to suffer. Habakkuk is, is, is showing Jesus who goes into the world knowing all of the violence he would see and all of the violence that he would experience and the suffering that would come on him and yet here he goes walking straight into it. He says, no one takes my life from me. I give it of my own accord. He uh, persistently Prophesied, my time has not yet come, and he's saying, "I am going to the cross. I'm going to die." So he goes, knowing that he's going to experience that violence, that he's going to experience all of that suffering, that he's going to experience the blood loss and the pain of bleeding out on a cross, the most excruciating from the cross death that could ever happen. And Jesus goes and what he does is that he has decided from the beginning of time to say that the righteous shall live by faith. And so there's this trust aspect that says this. The sovereign God over all things, while he has allowed suffering to take place in our world, he suffered himself. He suffered himself and he went to the cross for us. It says this in 2nd Corinthians 5 21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God's righteousness is transferred to you and me through his own suffering. Do you think that you're suffering? Do you feel like you're suffering? It's real suffering. Jesus went through it. Jesus experienced it. But he experienced it for you. He experienced it for you. The righteous shall live by faith means this that is it is your trust in that event that he is the son of God and that he suffered in my place so that I would not have to experience the wrath of God eternally. Do you have that faith in God? Morality will not save you. Being a good person will not save you. Living a good life and being faithful to your wife or husband will not save you. Doing all the right things will not save you. It is faith in Jesus Christ on that cross, the better picture of Habakkuk that saves. Do you have faith in him? And will that sustain you in the pew as well as in the pain? Put your trust in Jesus Christ by saying to him, Lord Jesus, I want you to be my strength. I want you to be the one that I follow. I want you to be the one that I look to. I don't want anything else to come between me and you. Strip those things away, and God in his mercy will allow you to suffer so that you can see that God is your strength eternally. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm I'm just thinking through how much I need this sermon. It was as much to me as it, as it is to uh, anyone else in this room. Oh God, we're so thankful that uh, you are real and that the Bible is, is not just this happy book full of nice stories, but there is this picture of you that is absolutely amazing and powerful and awful at the same time. Lord, that to know you and to to come face to face with you is a sense of, of deep grief in some ways as we become fully aware of our sin, as we become fully aware of where we've been. But God, we know that you sent the Son suffer in our place for our sins as our substitute God I'm praying that that would be our great hope as we walk out of here that Lord that we would begin to worship you not just at specific times that have been set aside but Lord that we would worship you all the time that Lord it would be our life song that our life song would be that I, I can worship you in the pew but I can worship you in the pain God though though everything falls away, there's no figs, there's no olives, there's no, there's no wine, there's no grain, there's no livestock. And Jesus, all I have is you. All I have is you. I'm just, it's just it's just me and you now. God, in your mercy, we, we ask for this, but Lord, we, we don't take that lightly. We know that there's pain involved. So Lord, we ask you to, to give us what you've given us, the faith to, to handle, and Lord, that we would grow in that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.